0: This is Ari Koretsky and welcome to Jews You Should Know, introducing the broader community to interesting and inspiring Jewish men and women making a difference in our world. Some are already famous, some not yet so, but each is a Jew You Should Know. We are back with another fabulous episode of Jews You Should Know. This week another wonderful, inspiring, Personality. Once again, on the younger end of the age demographic. We've had a couple of those lately. Adina Lichtman recently comes to mind. And actually, I met today's guest, Joe Teplow, from the same person through a colleague and dear friend of mine named Rabbi Jack Cohn, who is plugged into a lot of really incredible young people in New York City and around. So, Joe is. A phenomenally successful young tech entrepreneur, but I think is somebody who epitomizes the concept of socially conscious business activity. Joe actually founded a nonprofit before he got into the for profit sector and today still manages both dimensions. He has this business called Rebel Mail, which actually was purchased by Salesforce, which is a major tech corporation, several hundred billion dollars valuation, run by a Jewish man, actually, Mark Fanioff, and he also runs a charity called Good Today, which institutionalizes charitable giving for individuals on a daily basis. It's a really, really unique approach to sort of micro-giving in a way that aggregates people's donations and allows them to give consciously and consistently on a daily basis over the course of their lives, so we're going to get into all that and more with Joe. Meanwhile, a reminder, as always, to follow us on social media at Jews You Should Know, spelled out fully on Instagram and Facebook, Jews You Should Know with the letter U on Twitter. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever it may be. Spread word about our podcast, please, to your friends family colleagues anyone who might appreciate it and help them subscribe as well not everyone knows how to do that when it comes to podcasts and comments questions to Jews you should know at gmail.com and now to our conversation with rebel Mail and good today founder Joe Teplow we are here with Joe Teplow or Teplow will get the correct pronunciation his really close friends and podcast hosts call him JTEP. but uh, how you doing, Joe?
1: Thank God, Rabbi, doing well. Thank you for having me.
0: So, what is the pronunciation? Get it. Let us set the record straight here.
1: It's teplo. I think it's um I think it's Russian originally. Teplow. I I think warm. Teply means warm, and there is oh, beautiful. Bakers. I thought it was
0: going to be like Teplowski, or you know. Nah, Definitely no, no. <laughs> nice. And uh, is JTEP a common uh, euphemism that you get?
1: It's not, but we'll, we'll have. We'll, can we we'll roll with have. it? Got, what do you got think? JT,
0: JT before. JT is much cooler.
1: <laughs> it's yours, Rabbi.
0: We're going, it's all mine. It's all mine. I love it. I tell my students on campus that I'm, I'm a big nicknames guy, but my nicknames have to be original. So mm. everyone's got like, you know, like the surface, like the obvious nickname that, that you know, like JT. Anyone could think of that. But I try <laughs> to go next level and then be the original. Um, anyway, so, so JTab, Joe, tell us a little bit about where you're from. You mentioned, it sounded like the Russian background. Is that where your family's from? Give us a little bit of history.
1: Yeah, no, I know. I definitely don't have uh, have my, my own uh, stories from Russia. Um, I grew up in Teaneck, New Jersey. Um,
0: That's far from the Gulag. <laughs> that,
1: that is. Um, and um, a little bit of an easier easier upbringing. Um, and I grew up uh, kind of there and um, went to Jewish day school, um, my, my whole educational career um, in S.A.R.,
0: that's known as kind of a like cutting edge of, uh, of educational methodology.
1: Yeah. Um, so we were, we were, I was there for elementary school and high school. So I was schlepping over the, the George Washington bridge throughout my, you know, as a, as a young kid, I had a big easy pass bill.
0: Nice. S.A.R. is in Westchester, correct?
1: It's in Riverdale, Riverdale. Riverdale. Very close. Exactly.
0: Yeah. S.A.R. Uh, is the school without walls, right? They, they, no walls.
1: Yeah. That was always like the fun question that we got as kids, especially, you know, when we were younger that, you know, it was just the first time I experienced the phenomenon of something being impossible to explain in words. Um, And it was so frustrating because your friends just would not get it. Like, I don't understand how the building stands up if there's no walls. Um, um, You have
0: to distinguish between interior and exterior walls for that. That was it,
1: yeah. Yeah. And so, no, yeah, the idea is that um, every grade has its own floor um, and there's no division between the classrooms. Um, And it's supposed to mirror the open philosophy that they have educationally. Um, and, um, you know, the, the joke that we always said as kids was that like, you could be stuck, like learning the material for the test and the class over could be taking the test. And like, you know, you could just get the answers that way that, that really <laughs> happened. Um, but yeah, that was, that was that. It, it encouraged a lot of wandering because there's literally no doors. That was the thing that was missing, doors. And so you could just prance your way out to like a common area and then just wander in as someone like me who like, can find themselves doing that. It was, it was funny.
0: It's interesting. You know, they, they, they did open space plans before it was cool. You know, like now all the tech companies, Facebook and everything. So hundred (laughs) percent. They were, they were uh, initiating startup culture before there was such a term. Um, So you grew up in SAR and I guess your family is kind of like a modern Orthodox family or what's, what's sort of their background?
1: Yeah, I would say so. We, We grew up modern Orthodox. Um, and, um, we you know we had a uh, the Tina Happy Mignon in our uh, living room every Friday night. So we de- I was definitely I, and I joke that I was always late for that somehow. Like I really was, <laughs> your own um, house. <laughs> every every Friday night. But um, that was so kind of like a
0: crow sitch.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I grew up with a lot of singing, um, a lot of you know energy um, in that in that way. But yeah, definitely modern Orthodox.
0: That's awesome. So after um, after SAR, did you do the uh, sort of the dirigeur year in Israel, the gap year that a lot of kids from modern Orthodox high schools do or just go straight to college?
1: Sure. Yeah. I I did like a four month thing in Israel. I was not in love. Is that because you got
0: kicked out or is that because? No. no. <laughs> it's I a I, really I, good way to explain getting kicked out. You Instead of saying I got kicked out, you say did I did an program. abbreviated program. Yeah.
1: abbreviated <laughs> program. No, you know, it was a combination of things. I, I think that was the year. It's funny now. Um, Not funny. It, you know, it's crazy to think back now. That was the year of swine flu. And I was like diagnosed with swine flu. And they coined oh, me in the room. I was there for a week. They were bringing food to the door. At the time, this was something so far and Of course, now, unfortunately, it's more right. familiar. That's like a, and, that's
0: a walk in the park. Wide at this point. And yeah. it
1: was one of those things where, like, I got a, a tour of the Israeli healthcare system. Um, you know, they, it kept on getting worse and worse. And eventually my mom is on a plane coming to pick me up because it was like, <laughs> my fevers were bad. And I, I, like, go to the hospital one day and I'm like... I, I don't know. It's getting worse. And they tap on my nose. They're like, "Does that hurt?" I was like, "Oh my god, yeah." They're like, "Well, you have a sinus infection. It's not swine flu." And they gave me antibiotics. I was better in twenty four hours. But my mom was there. <laughs> and you
0: know,
1: and I think that was that was when we called it a day. Um, yeah, so I that's good. so I went wow. back. To it. I went back to New York.
0: We have a, we could have a new nickname. It's in, in, this is the JTAP. We can go with H one N one.
1: That was it. H
0: one M. Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, so where were you? What were you? Were you in yeshiva over there? And
1: yeah, yeah. So I was, I was, I was in yeshiva. Um, I, um, I, I think also part of the reason why I cut my trip a little bit short there was I, I charted a little bit of my own path, where um, you know I was spending the afternoons seeking out just different like giving back opportunities in you know Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. My grandmother lives in the old city, and we Ooh, we're very close. Really? Yeah, and so we That's were very incredible. Close. That's your mom's
0: side, dad's side. My dad's
1: side, um, and so I would spend a lot of afternoons with her, just you know, spending time with Bubby. Um, That's incredible.
0: I, How long has she been there?
1: So she she's been there for. I'm named after her her late husband, um, uh, who passed away. I think the, the week after my parents got married, it was one of those. You know, he was not doing well, and so they kept on pushing up the 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 wedding. Um, and um, so I'm named after. So right after he passed away, she she kind of moved. Um, so it's been I don't know how old, how old I old. So you grew
0: up your whole life with having a bubbie in the old. Twenty nine years.
1: Yeah, she she was spending half and half at one point, but then you know eventually you know made the move as she got older. And um, you know the joke she says about the old city. You know, not a lot of of my friends have people that live in the old city like as family members. Um, is that when she was making Aliyah she got like a tour by some real estate agent and they were taking her around the hills to the buildings and, and one of the nice like apartment buildings the person says you know if you stand on your tippy-toes you can see the dome of the rock you can see the the old city and she, she you know she left and she asked herself why am i uh you know why do I need to go on my tippy-toes and so she asked if they could see something inter- inside I don't think it's something that a lot of people want to subject themselves living but she made it she made it happen and she lives in a 500 year old apartment and the walls are six feet thick, and if you needed a bookshelf, you could just dig into the wall and, and, and carve out, you know, a new shelf for yourself. But the special thing is you really use it as a responsibility, right? She has birthright groups coming through there on Friday nights to just see what it's like for, you know, the residents. Um, and, and whenever I have dear friends that maybe, you know, have, are in Israel for their first time, I always make sure, you know, they stop by, even if I'm not there. Um and uh know, yeah, it's pretty amazing. So, anyways, left a long way of saying that I kind of charted my own afternoon program that I don't think was in keeping with the the yeshiva's uh right. They weren't thrilled uh, that
0: you were go- disappearing every afternoon too. Uh, exactly.
1: And to so, Bubby's so house, yeah. that and swine flu kind of worked out perfectly. That it, I took my leave.
0: <laughs> wow, that's great. I gotta I gotta visit Bubby Tep. BTEP will call her on my uh it. on my next trip. That's incredible. Does she have a, a balcony view or yeah,
1: she, she had a little balcony with a sukkah um you know when it when it's time for that and i also have cousins in the old city so it's a unreal it's it's a special special place for me that's
0: idyllic that's so cool so what did you do when you got back it sounded like you were kind of talking about wandering through the halls of sar wandering you know without a school without a a place to be what did you do
1: so I, i actually started um college early Okay. Um, which is, is is the joke with my friends because I ended up not graduating college, and so you know I feel like now we're starting this podcast with all these things I didn't finish. But um, <laughs> I um, I ended up not graduating college. We
0: can but, only like, go up from here, Joe. So we're it. we're good
1: <laughs> I started I started um, in the in the January semester, um, and I was pre med at um, you know on the I really wanted to be in, in medicine. Um, I've I volunteered as an EMT um, on the volunteer ambulance corps in throughout high school and. It was very much the most fulfilling thing I had ever done, probably still today in many ways. Um, biology was always my favorite subject. And so I was like so positive that I was going to be in medicine and in healthcare. And um, I started uh, I started studying uh, right after Israel. Where'd you go? At Yeshiva University.
0: That's why went to YU. Cool. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And so what was that experience like? And it sounds like you were there for a while, more than four months, I'm guessing, but yeah. um, but less than four years, it sounds like. so. Where did you, where'd you end up? So,
1: so, um, I, two things, you want the answer, like the professional answer, the spiritual answer,
0: give me, give me the real answer,
1: the real answer. So, um, there was two things happening. So, um, the first was my, it was around my, my last year, I guess it was my, my third year, my third year, it's hard because I started early. So maybe two and a half years in, um, I I, I had a roommate who was in uh, the Maccabees, which is this, sure. you know, a, acapella group. Yep. And um, they were, you know, fairly famous as far as Jewish acapella groups go. Um, great,
0: way, great way for you to meet girls, Joe.
1: Uh, you know, actually, that's a good point. They <laughs> work, work at the time. So You're so um,
0: cute. You ever see these girls?
1: <laughs> so, so one of my roommates was in the Maccabees, and, they, um, and he, um, unfortunately, actually had lost his mom when he was younger to leukemia, and he wanted to raise money for this bone marrow foundation and the MacBeats were coming out with a new song for Hanukkah. And um, he asked me, he knew I knew like a basic web design that I taught myself in high school. And, and he said, like, can we build this website um, to raise money in conjunction with this video? And me and a few friends, we got together, we built this website. They started the, the video launches, they started directing traffic at the, the site. Um, and it was actually, um, it was the back of beats in mind. Bialik was incredibly generous with her time and she put things together as well. And, and it raised like hundred thousand dollars in nine days, which was for me, the, the largest, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was the biggest thing I'd ever been a part of. Um, and I was, you know, obsessively checking the analytics in the back of bio class, like seeing the donations come in. Um, but the, the, really wild thing is that it was, it was mostly, um, small donations. It was like $18 donations um and of course you you know get, get why that was the number but um when i realized that this entire amount was comprised of such small giving i was like totally taken by this idea that the internet can be this really powerful force for unifying the collective for good um and so i started really trying to like going to like other b-list celebrities and trying to get them to do things like this and thank god i was really blessed you know i ended up working with um James Vanderbeek from Dawson's Creek and a few other, you know, a few other people and, and help them really rally their fans to, for good. And while I was in NYU, Um, and I was just, I, I was really like, I had this bug that, that that was like really getting instant feedback and we were affecting things at scale. And um, what I ended up doing actually was start starting a charity, um, a nonprofit um, and it still exists today. It's called good today. Um, and the gist of it is that there's this Jewish concept, that I've heard attributed to many many people, but I'll say like Maimonides speaks deeply about it. The Lubavitcher speaks about it. Um, that when it comes to charitable giving in Judaism, it's better to give a small amount every day instead of one big amount. Um, and there's an idea that that kind of frequency in giving is is as impactful, if not more impactful, than quantity. Um, which of course, as a young you know kid in college, is really meaningful because I don't have much, but frequency is something I can do. Um, and I think the underlying principle behind it all is that if you give, you'll transform your character because a muscle, right? You'll exercise it and grow. Yeah. Yeah. And habit, we know the power of habit now and, and, and habit leads to deep, you know, character change. Um, and so I love that idea. I started with a few friends, basically the way it worked was we signed up to give 25 cents a day and every morning we would send out an email and we would tell everyone about one problem in the world and two charities tackling that problem in a different way. And you would click where you want your 25 cents to go. Um, and so it could be, Hey, everyone today, we're going to support ovarian cancer. Here's one charity supporting cancer research. Here's one supporting families that are going through this. Where do you want to go? You click 25 cents. That's it. Um, and we would count how many people chose each one, um, and write the check. And it grew to a couple hundred friends while I was in school. Um, and then a couple thousand friends. Thank God. Now we're at like 15,000 people every day, you know, giving. Um, but, um, what actually happened totally practically speaking was I, from this, became really fascinated by email, in particular um, choice mechanism in email because we had this choice we were giving people every morning, and everyone clicked. We had like sixty percent click through rate, which is very high for you. I don't know if you do any yes. email marketing. Unfortunately,
0: um, I know that that's high. <laughs> there you go.
1: And so, you know, some people have to open the rabbi's emails, but um, so uh, so that's what was happening. And I started talking to subscribers, and the more I spoke to, the more it told me that I was like, "What is it? Why are you clicking? Is it you're guilty? Do you know me? Like, what's going on? Do you think I'm checking?" Um, and it was this pattern that people said that, yes, they loved giving, but they also loved how frictionless it was. They didn't have to log in, download an application, put in their password. There was no app, um, and I said- well, How them, did they,
0: they actually give the money? In other words, well, so they, they up, click on that.
1: They signed up once with their credit card, in the beginning, oh, and then every morning, okay. all they had to do was click, and we were just tallying, basically. Um, and so um, it was- but You it would was charge very, them
0: once, or you would charge them daily?
1: You would charge them once a month, okay. once a month, and then and every day. And so it was, you know, technically speaking, it was not a robust product. We literally charged right. you once a month and we counted how many people clicked each side. That was literally right. it. Um, and we would take a calculator and thank God now we have like an automated system. But I was just taken by this idea once I heard this from all of them that they loved that they could do it from the email. And so again, you know, another friend started um, thinking like, can we do something for brands or like for companies that they could take advantage of this in a for-profit you know, a company where people can start doing things in an email, like take a quiz, leave a review, do a survey. Um, eventually, maybe purchase something without leaving the email. And um, long story short, from the back of that same you know bio classes, I we built a prototype um, and somehow convinced like some small companies to test this out. I remember the first company we managed to convince was a flower company um, that for Mother's Day sent out an email where you could actually type out your mom's address inside of the email itself and select the flowers you wanted, and then you press purchase. And you'd have to purchase that on the website, but you actually filled out the entire beginning in the email. And, um, and then we actually figured out how to do the order in the email. But um, the flower company loved it. Um, we did it again and again. Many more people were actually ordering the flowers when you could do it from the email. Um, I think something like 40% more. Um, and um, we were really blessed, it's a, it's a story, but we, um, I ended up meeting a remarkable dear friend of mine now, but our first investor, um, who is a, a super successful Israeli um, entrepreneur. And he offered to invest two million dollars in the company um, if we if we would uh, drop out if I would drop out, um, and and I had a slight existential crisis of like what I saw my life looking at looking like, um, you know, originally as like someone in in healthcare and being like a nice Jewish boy doing that path, um, versus taking the risk to pursue an opportunity like this. Um, I can tell you if it's interesting, I can say the story of of the day that I made that decision. But um, yeah,
0: I want to get there. So how did you meet? How did you meet this? entrepreneur? Like, how did that even develop? How did you even get to that point?
1: Yeah. Um, So the company was that we decided to call was called Rebel Mail. Um, We named it Rebel Mail this idea, um, because we were trying to rebel against the state of email, I guess. Um, And um, I immediately started reaching out to um, anyone in the Jewish community that I knew that had built a technology company, which unfortunately, is actually like technology, like early stage technology companies is not um, something that so many like you know, why you alums have done, etc. So it's a small community. But the good thing is that everyone is very generous with their time. Um, and, and, and and I found just so willing to help. Um, and I met a remarkable dear, dear, dear friend of mine who who, who who had been on this path of building a company a few years before me, his name is Alex Taub. Um, and, um, he had, you know, just been through the, the, the process of, of, you know, building some of his own things. Um, and he guided me and he actually introduced me to one of his first investors, who, who was, who was uh, the one that we, I met. His name is Ron.
0: <laughs> Good old Ron. Okay, so take me to that day that you made that decision. You're, you know, at this, this crossroads, this fork in the road yeah. of medical school and tech development.
1: So I think, um, you know, for me, all, part of it was that, I ha- in making the decision, I had to assume that that this company would not succeed because the chances were like invariably these companies do not work. Um, and so, what I had to be okay with was making the decision despite that, and and recognizing that this was something that I was going to be investing, you know, my heart into. Now, whether or not I, I kind of acknowledge that rationally, I think that this is a very emotional decision. Um, I remember you know pacing outside of Wahoo in the in the parking lot, like I was. For sure, crying at the time. Like I was like, I was so stressed. There was um, someone else relying on me. You know, this investor who believed in, in me and my friend. Um, you know, the person that I was working with um, was very confident that that it was. You know, he was gung ho. He had already graduated. He was you know, and um, I was you know on the phone with my mom, my dad, other advisors. And, just you know, this was, it was very clear. Everyone was pointing to the same thing, that this is something that I, I can only be the one, you know, to make the decision. And so I'm like shaking at this point. I don't think I ate for like two days because um, we had to make a decision whether we were going to sign or not. And I'm in Washington Heights and I get a call from, from, from my you know, this this investor. And, you know, I, um, this investor is like so cool. It's hard to explain. Like, especially like before I got to know him, like on the surface, like sold is coming for, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. I Googled his name. The first thing that comes up was like his baller apartment in New York City on Airbnb. And like, I was like so intimidated. He had a shaved head. He had just come back from like some elite unit in the army, you know, all the things. And um, he calls me up and he said, he could probably hear like the shaking in my voice. He said, Joe, can you meet me downtown at the W Hotel by um, Union Square? And you know, I was like, Twenty, I did not go downtown. A, B, like I was not cool enough to, you know, go to like the W Hotel lobby, you know, or like, you know, I definitely did not go to bars. And so, anyways, it was a lot of new things for me. Um, I, 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 you know, take, you know, the way down. I, I walk up. He's sitting there. We sit down. We start talking. I'm sure that I was like uh, palpably like anxious. Um, and at one point in the conversation, we're talking through things, and he looked at me and he said, "Joe, like, do you not think the Jews were scared when they left Egypt?" And I was like, what? And I, I guess what went through my mind was like, first of all, that has nothing to do with what I'm actually deciding about right now. But there was it was this moment that I, I remember so clearly today because it was a moment of like, wow, like, okay, this person, you know, recognizes what like the values I live by and um and what's important to me. And and that just that recognition was something that I didn't take for granted. And the fact that that was the the kind of storyline that they were pulling from to like inspire me was like okay like there's a sign here like let's do this um and then i, I left that meeting and that night i um I, I let him know that we're gonna i'm gonna move we're gonna move forward and i got a message from him like right after like what's your mom's hebrew name i was like what and he's like you know i want to put in a good good word at the you know the oh of the the little baba Cherebi and i was like okay like i'm it was so sure for me that i made the right decision with moving forward with this person that like that like of course they were investing and they they believed in the success of the company financially et cetera et cetera but there was something else going on here and i was going to be building a relationship that was like truly meaningful and 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 whether it succeeded or not this was going to be a transformative
0: it believed in you
1: a hundred percent um and you know it, it was it was an amazing 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 relationship and and um And God, as we saw success in the company, um, you know, we were able to to provide some reward for our investors, but also just like that, it's a very central relationship in my life.
0: Wow. It's interesting. I mean, in truth, it's not like medicine disappeared as an option, right? You could have always gone back to that. Was that a part of your thinking?
1: Yeah, no, of course, I guess. But, um, you know, you you put time into things and and time is precious. You know, it's, um, it's, it's, uh, you know, I think everyone is realizing that now as well, Um, you know, with everything going on. Um, time is precious and, uh, and, and the environment I was in was very cutthroat, right? These like these, you know, Jewish kids, pre-med, you know, everyone's, everyone's, uh, you know, trying to get the best grades, you know, into best schools. Um, and so, you know, you're correct though. I think, um, people do have to realize that, right? There's there, we live in a world where, you know, especially, you know, you know, this generation is so blessed that a, they're having, you know, these opportunities to navigate this decision of like career with um, purpose at its center. Right. I always joke that like my grandfather was a butcher and I don't think that like, he was like so passionate about that. I don't think that's what he grew up like really maybe dreaming about it, but he provided, you know, for his family, he built an amazing, remarkable family, put them all through school, um, and, and, and got fulfillment from that. Um, but now, you know, if, 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 you know, if he heard the conversations that I have with some kids now graduating, people would laugh or cry because it's, you know, it's, it's, the options are endless. Um, and what you're saying is also true. The arc is longer. I have friends who have gone to medical school and now law school. I have friends who have gone to, you know, worked in tech and now going pre-med. Um, and so it's uh, it's an amazing thing. And I think there's a lot of responsibility that comes with it.
0: Yeah, well, an abundance of blessing that I think people don't always have context for as we're living through it. But, you, you know, putting it in a broader historical perspective, it's like unprecedented uh, to to borrow the uh, an overused word at, at this point time but right. uh, so tell me about the arc as you say the, the development of this particular company of rebel mail did, yeah. did it you, i mean you mentioned you know most startups fail right because right. like, nine out of ten like vcs or angel investors look at you know a return of one out of ten companies right i think they, they assume is going to be their yield and that's going to support the rest of the failed endeavors um so how did you make sure that you were that one
1: yeah. Sure. Um, well, so I think the first thing I had to realize was that there was no making sure I was that one, right? Like I, I um, thank God um, we were able to to achieve some level of success, but it's very clear to me, right? I have so many friends now building companies, ups and downs. That like, in the end of the day, right? And I don't say it lightly. Like we don't run the show, and and um, th- in particular, there was at the end. I mean, I'll, I, I you know I can speak to it, but um, we ended up selling the company. Um, and got, um, last year to a much larger, um, company, uh, called Salesforce. I don't know if you, sure you're on Salesforce. Um, got to get me, uh,
0: maybe you can get me Mark Benny off on the show.
1: There you go. He's a, he's a special Jew. I'll tell you that much. I know. Um,
0: I'm looking for the, I'm looking for the right end. So maybe, so, maybe JTEP is it.
1: <laughs> so he, um, so anyway, so, so I bring up the sale because towards the end, it was very obvious to me, um, that, um. It was obvious to me that I wasn't the only one selling selling the company, um, and and you know I, I I was I was assisted a obviously by people and, and investors and partners, but but there was there was you know there's a there's a plan, um, I, I, and I, I felt that at the end, and um, and and because of that, I view I view um, our success with 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 I hope with responsibility and being able to conduct myself in that way, um, but I always said that like it was done in such a way that I couldn't for a second think that I was the one who sold it. That's what I said, um, but um, you know speaking about Mark, I could tell you a a funny story about the end. Um, but um, yeah, so um, you, you asked about the arc. It, it, we, we built it over four years. Um, so we took that seed investment. There were ups and downs, 100%. It was a roller coaster. There was um, the crazy thing about um, about you know, technology companies, um, and I guess any company really, but like you see today with, with what's going on, but like you could be there one day and, and not be there the other day, um, right? And like we were at any point, you know, six months away, by definition, when we were running a company that was not profitable, right? Early stage technology companies are about growth, not profit. And so when you're running a company on growth and not profit, that means that at any point you are anywhere between six to eight months away, or in some cases we were three months away from having no money. Um, and we were relying on the next round and, you know, we raised a few rounds of, of you know capital, um, and, and we had to hit certain milestones. Um, we had uh, some dark times and some some light times. It took four years, um, and um, in our last year, um, there was a there was a decision to be made. A lot of decisions at these companies, but a decision to be made where um, do we raise a much bigger round and take this really 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 big, like a Series A, and make that commitment, you know, to do it for another three years. Um, and that's what I was pursuing. And then we got some nibbles of interest um, from some other companies to purchase the company. We had a um, a false start with the company. Now, in selling a company, it's the most distracting possible thing for employees, literally the most distracting possible. And so it was very, everyone I spoke to said, you do not let anyone know that this is happening until things are signed. Um, and so I was the only one. So I was alone um, in these conversations. No one knew anything was even happening. And so after to the look, partner
0: that you were with before, was he still around or
1: after a few months, he, he kind of you know, went back to do something else. So it was really just me in the driver's seat, and. I was having these conversations and we had one company that was 95% of the way there. And they called me up one day. They were they were like, Joe, Monday we're sending three engineers on a plane to New York to do the last levels of due diligence and then we're going to sign and close and announce it in a conference in three weeks. We were like that teed up. And then, um, and they you know, called me up. We are so, so sorry. It has nothing to do with you. There's this thing, bah, 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 Done. I was in shambles, you know, a week, you know, of, you know, deep, 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 you know, anxiety, whatever. I got... I, you know, I remember I had to get real perspective and so I asked a friend to send me up with some volunteering in the hospital in New York on 31st Street, so I could just really got rezoned in and and, and and then went back to the office you know the next day and and nothing nothing had happened to anyone. You know anyone else had noticed anything happened because they didn't know. Um, and then we were very blessed. Um, we, you know started speaking with Salesforce. and I will tell you, you spoke about Mark as the leader. He, this company, Salesforce, is such a remarkable, remarkable place they're so deeply philanthropic as someone who like, you know, I founded a charity before this company and it was important to me to like have a culture of giving. Um, we mark pioneered this model of one, 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 which is, you know, we give 1% of our time, 1% of our profits, 1% of our uh, products to charity every year. 1% of our time adds up to lots of time, right? It's a, it's 56 hours per employee that you must be giving to, to others. And um, you know, I've definitely learned from him and, and, and from others, but that it, it When these values are like deep and authentic and they run deep um it comes from the top um and so he's definitely done that in remarkable ways and i'm so impressed and really lucky to be here
0: that's awesome so i have a couple probably ignorant questions just about the product itself and like sure so again this is going to sound from a non-tech guy like why was this so hard to do right like it sounds like you just fill out a form inside an email what was so revolutionary about that again not to be insensitive, I just, to, yeah. I don't get what's so, and and secondly, and I guess relatedly, right? Why wouldn't any company say, yeah, that, that's a good idea, why don't I just do that? Like, where, where's the pressure point there?
1: So two things, um, on the on the first thing, why is it so hard to do? I guess the answer is, is it's not, you know, nothing nowadays is beyond the realms of possibility for anyone who, who wants to put their mind to it as far as technical capabilities go, right? The notion, right, like that, like, uh, on, on this, the second point, which is, um. Why can't someone else just, you know, pick this up and do it? Especially you think about, forget someone else. What about Salesforce? There's, you know, 180, $90 billion company. Why can't they just do that? Right? Hire some people. And so I think what was the really interesting lesson is like you learn the value of focus, um, and expertise and you know, a particular company like Salesforce, they're trying to do so many things right now already. Um, and you know, a company, we were 25 people when we were bought. Um, A company of 25 people that um, is laser-focused on innovating in a particular arena, has built a name for ourselves, a brand, some customers for ourselves, and brings an energy and like an agility that is unfortunately sometimes hard to find at a company of 50,000 employees like Salesforce. It all of a sudden just makes like the calculation of, when they buy a company like ours, it's not just bringing on 25 new employees. A, it's more expensive than bringing on 25 new employees, but B, they're getting actually something else, which is this, this mindset, um, this focus, and this, this kind of industrial knowledge. And I, I think that's the same point to what, what you just asked about what, you know, uh, about what was so hard about it. It, it. What's hard about it is to build that, to build that expertise, to build that focus um, and the momentum and to, to kind of stick with it. And we had people pop up here and there that were you know, attempting this and that, but we were, we were very lucky. Um, and the other thing is that if you're building something big enough, then there's room for more than one person.
0: I mean, I just think about, you know, if I'm taking a Google form, I can embed it into an email, right? And the person can take that in the email. So it seems like that kind of technology was sort of out there.
1: Correct. 100%. We spoke with Google. We've, we've, um, you know, we worked with them to push forward some new interactivity that's that's now coming to inboxes, um, which is really wild and fun.
0: So is that kind of stuff using your technology or
1: that? So in that, that in particular, we're, we use very similar things that them. we were actually slightly better at, at you know, uh, Google forms will break sometimes if you forward them, this and that. Um, so we, we actually were speaking to Google at one point about, you know, adopting what we were using, but um, very similar, right? So like, it was nothing. Um, it was nothing truly revolutionary as far as technology goes, um, but it was the focus and it was the attention to detail and email in particular is a a very fickle place. It's actually the, it's older than the web in many ways. Um, Right. It's the first messaging protocol of the web. And because of that, a lot of standards evolved at that point and have not evolved since. Um, And so it's very old school and it's not a, you know, excuse me, sexy place to be building technology. Right. Um, And so the fact that we decide it's a very valuable place, but the fact that we decided to do that as opposed to building some new AI, this and that, you know, our engineers were able to focus and, um, and build that, you know, knowledge.
0: Have you gotten into other areas of sort of, of the tech marketplace or it's really email focused exclusively? And even within email, are you doing other things like you know, email marketing, you know, sort of the constant contacts of the world? Are you in that space at all? Or is it really this very narrow?
1: So Salesforce, you know, the, the part of the business that bought us is, I would say, like an enterprise version of constant contact. They like Um, Adidas and and Lululemon and those brands don't use like constant contact. They use Salesforce marketing cloud, it's called. And so that's what we're a part of. And so now all of those customers have access to our technology. Rebel mail is kind of baked in so they can start sending these things. So like if you buy something from Home Depot today, you're going to get an email to leave a review on the product. It's powered by Rebel mail.
0: And that review, you're going to just write the review in the email and done.
1: And around two times as many people leave reviews, they can fit out a great deal more. And so, um, so that's that, um, and as far as where we're going, you know, with other things, yeah, we, I think, um, part of the reason why they bought the, you know, the, the thesis for the, for the acquisition was, was that we think about interactivity as core to, um, to interactions with customers and, uh, email was a place where that was previously one-way communication, right? You would send an email, you would get the person to your website to do that two-way interaction. But my team is really passionate about two-way interaction everywhere, right? And so soon you're going to start interacting with brands on SMS, um, right back and forth. And you're going to be interacting with push notifications that you can actually take actions in or, you know, uh, really, really everything we I believe that these touch points are going to become interactive to the point where you're taking actions wherever you are.
0: How did you develop your own skills when it comes to the tech side? Because it sounds like you were in the pre-med track. I guess you had a little bit of familiarity with, with webs, you know, web design or architecture, but I mean, anybody could really just throw up a WordPress site. It doesn't. You know, it doesn't mean you could run a tech company. So like, how did you go from, from that point to where you are now?
1: Well, that, that was the, um, that was exactly what you said was the, was the level of my skill. I could build web WordPress sites I, you know, in high school, I was, you know, making local lawyers and doctors, their websites to make some money, but that was the extent of it. And the answer is I just surrounded myself with really incredible people that knew a lot more than me. Um, and that, that was really it. Um, and they taught me and eventually I learned that all I had to do was know enough to communicate.
0: So in other words, you're really executing vision, not the actual engineering of the code. Yeah, I, I'm
1: a I'm a designer at heart, I guess. So I designed the first like I literally made the mockups of the first few iterations of our product. Um, now we have designers, thank God, that are much better. But um, that that was um that was definitely something that I was capable of doing. That was kind of tech. So I, you know, in tech, there's a little bit of like a um, meritocracy, I guess, where like people expect you know, idea guys are like you know, there's that's you know, that's like there's like a Negative connotation there, right? So right. I, I, I like to not think of myself as that. Um, but I was definitely building something, you know, on the design side, on the front end. But I needed help, as I get you're, right. hi- you're
0: a hybrid. <laughs> <laughs> so pivoting outside of the company itself, what other activities did you start getting involved of? In? Because really, you have the, you know, you have the heart of a philanthropist, the heart of a, you know, we'd say, in from a Jewish perspective, sort of the a, a chesed orientation, you know, a, a kindness, a giving orientation. And how has that evolved for you, obviously, as you've developed in your career, of course, you're, I'm sure, at a point now where you're able to give more than 25 cents a day and do more things with your time and with your resources. Where have you gone with all of that?
1: Yeah, so uh, I had a really interesting conversation last night with, like, a dear friend um, who just started uh, seeing someone, and they are a... um, it's like a physical therapist, right? And they're helping, you know, older people with mobility and it's remarkable and it's incredibly rewarding the person that they're dating. And the person, my dear friend, is someone who affects things at scale, right? Like they're a scale thinker and an incredible, incredible, you know, uh, woman. And I think a lot about like that in my life, right? Like impacting at scale versus impacting individuals, right? And I think what there's this, you know, saying, if you save one life, it's as if you saved an entire world, right? You could tell me better, Rabbi. But, uh, yeah, it's, the
0: t- it's Talmud. You got it, man. That
1: was it. Um, and I think that's really beautiful. But I think that, that what's even more interesting is that, like, oftentimes in life, it's not about saving a, a life, right? A, saving an entire world. But, like, I think everyone has had experiences in their life where, where they've done something that only later they got a glimpse of the impact that they had. Right. And it was such a small act. Right. And I, I don't know, Someone, a rabbi once told me that the biggest blessing is life is when you get a glimpse of the impact that you've had on someone else, because too often we, we don't see that. Um, and that's only visible, I guess, you know, to the heavens. And so and a lot of my time thinking about like those two things and, you know, how I miss, you know, if I had, you know, gone down the, the, the healthcare path, I would be affecting people one-to-one. It would be, you know, you look at the eyes of the person that you're, you're helping, you, you go to sleep that night, you know, put your head on the pillow with, you know, with this, like a, a little bit of like, just like a much closer warm feeling. I feel like that's, and that's something I, I, I really cherish and I miss in some ways. And so I've tried to bring some of those things back into my life. So I just got re-certified as an EMT. I'm um, God willing, going to start volunteering again there. But at the same time, I recognize that like, there's certain gifts, you know, and, and, and talents that people have. And, and some of those do lend themselves better to scale. And so, um, I'm trying to trying to I guess navigate both of those things. I've been blessed now to invest in some of my friends' companies. I'm just today, sitting in an office of this you know real estate tech company that I just invested in, a, a friend of mine, and and I never dreamed that at this age I would be able to contribute in that way to people I believed in. Um, that's been wild. Um, and so I've invested you know, I don't know six or seven companies. Um, I um, I'm spending a lot more time on Good today. Um, the twenty five cents a day charity that I mentioned. They. Um, We've shifted our focus recently to companies. So um, basically we have, uh, when I was, you know, my, at my company were 25 people and I was trying to think, how can I make a culture of, you know, goodness on my team? And I can't compete with these large companies, Google, Facebook, this, that have social responsibility arms. But I sponsored my employees 25 cents a day and they got that email in the morning and they got to give, they clicked and they gave. Um, and it kind of had this dose of perspective in the morning, you know, think start your day with some empathy, thinking about others. My team fell in love with it. And so when we sold the company, now that I have some time, we started talking to other founders. You know, we met the founder of Shutterstock, um, the stock photography thing, they sponsored all 1,000 of their employees. Um, I met the CEO of Jefferies, it's a bank in New York, they have 3,000 employees they sponsored. Um, the founder of Liontree, another bank, you know, they are hundreds of employees. And so we now have, you know, 15,000 people every morning waking up and, and starting their day with this action of giving. Um, uh, but again, right, scale versus individual. Sometimes it's remembering, right? Like the hard thing about Good Today for me is remembering that every day we're having fifteen thousand individuals that are starting their day giving, and then we're giving this money to someone that I often don't even, you know, to a cause that I often don't even get a glimpse at. And so I'm thinking a lot about that now. And so I don't know, I don't know what it looks like, you know, down the line. But that's definitely some of the things I spend my my time doing now.
0: Yeah, is it still twenty five cents per person?
1: Yeah, so we have twenty five cents per person. Um, uh, We have, you know, some people giving a dollar now, some people giving fifty cents. Um, I always, uh, you know, say that the, inter- the fun thing about Good Today is that you know we're very lucky. We have some amazing people on the platform now. Individuals this night we have, you know, Ashton Kutcher is on our homepage with his testimonial that you know he's a he's a daily user. But um, it's that no matter your giving capacity, it's not about the outsized impact, right? We have a few billionaires on the platform, but they open their email and they give twenty five cents or fifty cents or a dollar, right? Um, and uh, I, you know, I, ch- I checked recently, there's this one guy who is, you know, so, so, so deeply wealthy and <laughs> he's giving 25 cents a day and clicking to do, to make his choice actively. Um, and I think that's pretty cool that the, you know, on good today, it's not about the outside impact that they're probably used to having in the rest of their life. It's about, you know, cultivating that, that muscle.
0: How do you choose the philanthropies that you're highlighting? And, and it sounds exhausting. You have to find two new charities every a day? day.
1: A day. right? So thank God. Um, <laughs> I don't do that anymore you know and i actually never really was a part of that process i had a dear friend who's amazing studied like uh, effective altruism at princeton um and he uh he built a, a rubric for us so we're apolitical and a um we don't be, you know we have thousands of people of varying views um and so um uh he has a rubric and we, we every day we pull up to, you know we pull up to we have a schedule you know so we have like 30 days out now god forbid if there's a natural disaster or an attack or something going on in the world um, we try and be timely. And so oftentimes we've had situations where people have told us that they learned about the tsunami that took place and they gave that day. Um, so we kind of act as a news source in that way.
0: Do you ever keep people for multiple days in a row or cycle people back? Or, you know, Do companies come to rely on this? Like this is my annual good today, day.
1: I hope well, so. We have themes, so sometimes we'll do a week of a deep dive into certain issues. Um, unfortunately, with the virus um, right now, we've we've featured that from so many angles, from food insecurity to elder care to you know to the disease itself to research. Um, so there's a lot of ways you can tackle these things. Um, uh, and as far as the second thing with companies, other angles. I, I hope companies come to rely on us, right? Like especially now as people work from home, they've canceled all of their company social good events and in-person volunteering. And I think employees more than ever are looking, especially with everything going on in the world, right? Um, Racial injustice, there's so much going on. And so employees are looking for ways to give back remotely. Um, And so I hope we can be that for them.
0: You're just doing some back of the envelope math. It sounds like it's about a four grand a day or something that's going.
1: It's, it's, it's I don't know exactly the numbers now today, but yeah, we've given over you know half a million dollars. And um, it's funny, we, we have almost like the opposite, um, in some ways, impact of a lot of charities, right? If someone had t- can tell me today, Joe, do you want to give $10 million a day or do you want 10 million people on the platform? I would 1,000% choose 10 million people on the platform because um, we, we aren't about necessarily giving the most. We're about having the most people make, giving a part of who they are, and then hopefully they'll be giving more.
0: How has your Jewish identity or engagement evolved or developed in, in the years since? I mean, we, we spoke off air a little bit about living downtown in the East Village and involved with some Shabbat programs and things like that. What, where, where has all that gone, and has your perch as sort of a successful tech developer, you know at the exit and, and all of that? has that helped you help others in terms of Jewish connection?
1: Yeah. Good question. Um, so, I mean, spiritually, I would say, um, the arc is, I can make it faster. We, um, I grew up modern Orthodox. Um, as I mentioned, I had my first, um, and and I was, you know, definitely an observant Jew. I pr- prayer was really important to me in high school. Always. I, that was something I, I deeply connected to and I tried to pray three times a day, even as I started working, especially to make sure that was like anchors in my day of like reality. And, um, when I was in NYU, I actually came downtown for the first time, not to meet the investor, but for a Shabbat, and I went to the Chabad at NYU, and it's pretty wild, but that was actually my first exposure to Chabad.
0: It's Rabbi right uh, Cord, right? The yeah, famous letter. guy. Yeah.
1: So, um, so I went downtown, and um, it was a real, to be honest with you, a, like eye-opening experience. I had gone to you know coed, um, you know, modern orthodox schools growing up. But it wasn't until I came to Chabad that I sat down for my first, you know, they call it a fabrengan, you know, and um, just a, like, you know, a conversation in a smaller room. And it was like, you know, 10 of us and, and Rabbi Korn was there and a girl, I, it's funny, I, I, I don't even remember who exactly it was, but she started, she started, a girl started crying about something she was going through that week. And the Rabbi was talking about it and relating it to what, you know, what was going on in the world at the time and, 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 and you know, and her spirituality and, and it was in a, Semi public forum, and it was the first time that I had actually witnessed someone be like openly vulnerable, emotional in a spiritual setting and a spiritual context. And for better or for worse, that was the first time I kind of and I and I, I was like, Something is going on here, and I want to be a part of it. And I, I and I'm missing this in my Judaism, and I don't know what this is. <clears throat> Little did I know that was like my first exposure to Hasidus and Hasidut, and I came back two weeks later, and then I came back three weeks later. And then i made the decision to move downtown while i was in yu in washington heights which obviously meant i stopped going to class <laughs> uh, and um so i so i was downtown um and i just I, I fell in love with with chabad with you know with with hasidic thought um and 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 it really just enriched my judaism tremendously and you, you ask now um you know how maybe i'm trying to get back i think um me and my roommate um over the years we, we noticed there is so many jews downtown that unfortunately do not have a jewish connection um i think uh, there's a a fact that may be made up by chabad you know by Rabbi corin but that he said there's more young jews under 30 that are not connected anywhere in the world other than tel aviv and that's a big responsibility um, as a jew who who is connected downtown and so um we started hosting um small meals 10 20 30 people in the basement of an old chabad house um, a couple of years back and things grew, thank God. And at this point, you know, we're now hosting around 150 people at our apartment for three out of the four Friday nights every month.
0: What does that mean at your apartment?
1: So in my apartment, uh, I live there. I'm um, on Second Avenue, um, and uh, we we opened. So it basically, up. you
0: bought a giant apartment. Is that pretty obvious? <laughs> <ridiculous?
1: laughs> I, 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 I rent. Uh, I know, I'm getting, I did.
0: Are uh, you were talking about maybe that penthouse you're you're from Ron that you were talking no, about. No, no, no. If I Google no. your Airbnb, Joe like Teppler.
1: No, no. So so we rent, and it's 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 tight, it's tight, but it's beautiful, and uh, it's probably around I would say 60 people sitting and 60 people on top of the people sitting, and. Um, you know it starts at 9 p.m goes till two in the morning but it has been uh, you know a, a transformative experience for me just you know having that a part of my life hosting i miss it dearly obviously um right now we have not been hosting these meals um i don't know when that's coming back but it's been it's so special to, to have that as a part of my uh my my jewish life now downtown and, and to hope to feel that i'm able to you know have shabbat you know it's a funny story I just um, I got a coronavirus test because I'm going to visit a friend and I wanted to be careful. And so I go get the nose thing. They do it. I was like, okay, great. And the nurse says, do you want a, I go to a random urgent care clinic on, uh, in the West Village. And she said, do you want a, an antibody test? And I said, okay, fine. Sure, why not? It's free. Throw it in. Um, and so I, I roll up my sleeve. I have a little Hebrew on my bracelet here. And, uh, you know, she looks at it and she, you know, she starts asking me questions. I should give it. And I said, oh, like at the end, I'm not in like, a, I hope it wasn't like hitting on her way. I said, I said, by the way, when things calm down, you should come for Shabbat, at my house. Have, you know, we have a lot of people. And she's like, oh, okay, i think about it. And then she, at the end, she's like, by the way, where do you live? And I said, on 2nd Avenue between 12th and 13th. And she says, no, I've been to your house for Shabbat before. No. And I promise. And I was like, oh, my God. And so I've, I guess I realize now that unfortunately, I don't meet everyone that comes through the doors. And um, it's, uh, it's pretty wild
0: are you funding these uh, privately these are all uh, kind of we, we
1: figure it out we have we have friends we have this but thank god it's we, we keep things lean um we we have a we have an arrangement with a supermarket in crown heights that throws all the chicken into some tins and puts it in an uber and we you know pick it up um but thank god it's me and me and some other friends are able to do it
0: so joe and wrapping up where do you see yourself going obviously you've had this exit it sounds like you're still working in the company kind mm-hmm. of as a you know as that gets very often they will uh, bring in the company, the, the purchasing company will bring in the existing talent to continue the vision. Uh, so it sounds like you're still doing that, but, you know, most entrepreneurs tend to be pretty restless and, you know, and, and have all kinds of things cooking, all kinds of pots on the fire at different times. Where do you see yourself going professionally, personally? Are there other philanthropic ventures that, you know, are, are in your, are, are baking somewhere back there? And where do you want to go in general?
1: I can't tell the secrets here, but I?
0: I can, we could go off recording now, just for me.
1: <laughs> I'll say something that, I'll say something that's interesting. There's, um, if you ask, you know, a founder of a, a company that's just starting out, right? Before they've even raised their seed around, let's say, and then, you know, you fast forward uh, four years from then when they raise a lot, they have 30 employees, they're dealing with this, they're dealing with that. Where would you rather be? They would say, of course, I'd rather be now, four years later. You say, where are you more anxious? they will say, of course, I'm more anxious now. That's four years later. And why? Because... The more you do, the more opportunities for problems arise, right? When you don't have investors, you can't have problems with your investors. When you don't have employees, you can't have problems with your employees. You know, when you don't have- By the way,
0: that's also from the Talmud. It says, Mar Ben chassim, Mar ben daga. The more property you the own, more, the more you have, the more worry you have as well.
1: Yeah. And I just, I like to think about it as someone who I think I'm definitely, I deal with anxiety at different points in my life. And so it's like, okay, now it makes sense. It's because the more <laughs> there is, the more opportunities for alternate outcomes. I read an essay recently where the person explained, they said they feel that founders are, are uniquely anxious because what is anxiety? Anxiety is imagining alternate realities of perspective problems that could arise in the future. Now, founders, their job is to have a vision of a reality that doesn't exist right? They're, they're trying to chart that path forward for something in the, in the ether that doesn't exist yet. And so if you're capable of that vision on the positive side, you're definitely capable of that vision on the negative side. And so I think that I'm, I don't know, I'm probably turned up to like a 12 on that. But, <laughs> um, but the reason I bring this up is because in selling the company, I'll be honest, right? Like the anxiety was turned all the way down, right? So much was taken off my plate. Um, I don't have investors anymore. I don't have to worry about payroll, health insurance, everything is really handled. But when you say restless, what I think I kind of learned about myself and it happened quicker than I thought and everyone told me it would is that what you miss is uncertainty. Like what you miss is that and it's wild to say, but like I do miss uncertainty. Um, And at least at work right now, I don't have that as much. And so I think what I'm working on now without, you know, jumping the gun to something else is maybe I can introduce uncertainty in my life in other, other areas. Um, and like, not in like purposely. So, but like take on things that carry with them uncertainty. Right. Um, and so I'm trying to do that and figure out what that looks like for me now.
0: Why do you think you miss uncertainty?
1: That's a, that's a deep question. I think that, that, um, I don't know. I think, I think we're like, I, you, you, you told me about it, but we're like, we're creative beings. Right. And like with, um, you exercise like your deepest um, freedom and and capability when you're 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 under circumstances of uncertainty, right? I think I just read uh, a letter from the Lubavitch Rebbe that I didn't even realize he was on the run um, from the Nazis in in Paris at one point, and he he flees to the to the south of France, uh, to Nice, or the north of France, I don't know France, and uh, and he was there for nine weeks and. You know, nowadays with the virus, I think everyone in their in their weekly sermons is talking about the virus, the uncertainty. And what's amazing is that if you look at his weekly sermons from the time he actually doesn't, you can't even tell that he was on the run from the night, which is a wild, you know, thing um, that he was so plugged into this to the Torah that he he wasn't, you know, making that his everyday, you know, topic. But he wrote at some point that he said, what he noticed at that time of his life was that when you're plugged out of your normal routine and into situations of uncertainty, he says he feels. That without societal expectations on you, without all these things, you're able to unearth a layer of hidden good within yourself. And he said he noticed it within himself and you know he noticed it you know within others. Um and I like to think that now in the situation, how timely that is, right? Where there's so much uncertainty around us um, in the world. There's enough uncertainty for years right now. Um and I look around at some of the people that I respect and I see them like really rising to the occasion. Um, not even in such grand ways, right? Like in like their in their conduct on the street, in their conduct with the person at the grocery store. And of course, there's a lot of darkness out. But I think I don't know. If that's that's that. I think that is why I, we crave that, right? It's it's. And I, I think we can express the deepest and best versions of ourselves when we're um, squeezed. What do they say? They say when an olive is squeezed, it gives oil, right?
0: And I think it's beautiful to build off of that. You know, we are we are created, designed as human beings to be aspirational, to be growth-oriented creatures. And gr- growth inherently subsumes uncertainty. Uncertainty yeah. and growth are two sides of the same coin. And so if you want to be growing, that means by definition there is uncertainty. And so you, with the, when, cr- if we're craving uncertainty, what we're really saying is we're craving growth. Right. And uh, I think that's what perhaps you, you're looking back to, to reclaim in a certain way. Uh, but I'm sure you're going to find it in many different ways because that's been the, uh, they say past performance is a good indicator of the future. So uh, you've, you've definitely been doing that for, for quite a few years already. Joe, I can't thank you enough for joining us. It's such an amazing story. Both, you know, you often hear great business stories and then you hear, you know, great humanitarian or philanthropic stories. And what I love about your journey is that it's really the synthesis of the two and, and you have elements of both. And I'm so honored that you, you shared that that journey with us. Joe Teplo, aka JTAP, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Rabbi. Blessings.
0: This has been Ari Koretsky on Jews You Should Know. Please visit us at JewsYouShouldKnow.com and subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you consume podcasts. Find us on social media at JewsYouShouldKnow. If you'd like to become a supporter of this podcast, we would greatly appreciate that. And you can do so by visiting Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com com slash JewsYouShouldKnow. Finally, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review so that we can continue to grow and introduce many more people to Jews, you should know.